Oh my indeed. Welcome back everyone to the Sports Bits Podcast with Moco. Here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. If you're on Twitter, uh, follow me on Twitter at SportsBitsPod to get live updates and reactions of the games being played that get, day. And also what I upload on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Speaking of that, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're on Spotify, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on YouTube, just like, share, and subscribe. That would be much appreciated. So we got a big slate of games again uh, because uh, we actually uh, recording this on Wednesday, the night before this podcast is going to be posted. So we do have to talk about the Clippers game that happened last night. So uh, I'll quickly, I want to talk about the Hawks game that me and Reed went over last, uh, last, uh, last week because you saw, probably saw my live reaction of that. And I was absolutely pissed and livid that um, the Celtics were down 20 points the whole game except for the last quarter. So that just really pissed me off. I mean, uh, let's start with Reed. I mean, did you, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but do you have any extra comments about the Hawks game last week? Perimeter shooting was like the big thing for me. I mean, Gallinari went 10 for 12 from three and you've dropped 38 points. I know we mentioned that last time, but um, yeah, I mean, they shot 50, the Hawks shot 54% from three and the Celtics shot 25. So I think that the perimeter shooting definitely was a big story in that game. Yeah, I mean, like, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, looking at all the stats and everything, a lot of people on, on the Hawks contributed a little bit more than most of the Celtics team. And I feel like we've been talking that as a as an underlying theme with the Celtics, that they've kind of been more of an individual team with each player rather than playing collectively. So, like, for for even though, you know, we have in the stat line for the Hawks that, you know, Trey Young and Gallinari went off the – you know, there, Tony Stone was still involved. John Collins got a double-double. Clint Capello almost got a double-double. I mean, like, everybody on the team was was getting pretty involved in, in the scoring as well as, you know, just playing defensively and offensively as, as a team together. And with the Celtics, you know, it's mainly just Kemba, Brown, and Tatum. So, you know, get it, getting further into that, you know, even though Kemba has been doing a lot better, I think that, you know, the team's kind of relying a little bit too heavy on Brown and Tatum. I mean, I can agree, but also a funny thing mm-hmm. I saw that on the roster that they the Celtics rotated 14 guys in total that whole game. And I mean, I don't know if that's a bad thing because I, I mean, it's good to get the young guys in some minutes, especially if you're down 20. Because like mm-hmm. during the like after the set, after the first half, they were down 20 most of the game except for the last quarter. So like I feel like it's a good, you know, it's a good chance to get your young guys in, get some experience. Uh, I mean, 14 guys, like would you ever rotate 14 guys, James, if you were a coach of a team? No. <laughs> Even if you were losing by 20. Yeah, I probably still wouldn't. Uh, I mean, like, uh, although I uh, I do think that it was a, it was a better decision than uh, what Brad Stevens normally does. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I think that if you can just work your players throughout a slump throughout the game and like you're, you're like you have like the, the thing, the thing that I always knock on Stevens is that he doesn't change his play type. But like a lot of the time, like he, he also just like, their coaching staff doesn't encourage their players to like try and shoot out of a slump or, you know, try and, you know, work their way out. I mean, obviously Kemba does it all the time, but uh, you know, like players like Tatum and Brown who are so young and haven't like developed as much as they can in the league, they like, they got to learn that being able to like shoot your way out of slumps or being able to facilitate more, doing something that would be beneficial to the team more so than just being than just like jacking up shots that you know that you're not going to make you know like it it just comes down to that kind of logic yeah I feel like um they I I completely agree with you they definitely like Tatum and Brown definitely both need to just like I think mature more because once once they do that that you know they're going to start taking better shots and they're going to understand that they're good enough to be able to shoot themselves out of a slump you know, because yeah. I mean, we've seen Tatum go like four for 20, um, you know, so we know that like sometimes, yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to have a bad night, but those two players are definitely capable of getting themselves out of bad nights. And I think that they're too worried on 
I feel like Brad Stevens is too worried about like efficiency almost, you know what I'm saying? That might sound like really stupid because obviously efficiency is good, but I feel like he kind of like, it's early in the season, you know, at this point, like with the way that things are going for the Celtics, you might just want to be like, all right, screw it. You know, like, let's just try a bunch of different things. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I, I, it's kind of funny because you, you talk about efficiency and stuff and they're both in the all-star game and also they're both in the <laughs> three point percent, a three point uh, contest. We're talking about that. Like they're really good players and really good shooters, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they are all-star caliber players. I think, you know, they're still young, so they still need time to develop and stuff. So you guys bring up really good points about maturity. Like they, they've matured well since they're like maybe their rookie year, but maybe they oh, need yeah. to take another step forward to yeah, be that type of superstar yeah. talent that the Celtics Definitely. really need. Like a like a LeBron type like mentality, mm-hmm. and they they both need to be better leaders. I think, just in general. I mean, I think Brown is a bit of a better leader than Tatum. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but it, to me, it just doesn't seem like Tatum is taking a leadership role, which I think he should be. Yeah, yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's fair because like I don't think I would I wouldn't wouldn't really put Tatum or Brown as a leader type. You know, maybe Tatum more than Brown, because I think Brown's more of a scoring type. You know, he's like a, you know, he's like the AD to LeBron. Like, he's a good secondary guy, scorer. And I think Tatum should be that leader, and hopefully he can mature to do that. And, you know, we'll see in the future if he does. Uh, let's move on quickly to the Pacers game. Uh, you know, we, we did win that game, thank God. And the Pacers have been struggling, so I think it's understandable why we won. And I looked at the stats real quick, or like just the box score. And also, I funny enough, I found this thing on on the stat place I get my stats, and like they have this like thing for like plus minus throughout the whole game, so you can see like what the trends were throughout the whole game, like who was playing well in the second quarter, and like the team in general. And it just looked at I looked at the Pacers specifically, and it looks like Miles Turner and Sabonis are the only people carrying that team. It seems like Brogdon's been in a slump the past few games, and that's probably why they haven't been playing as well. I mean, like, if we, like we know Miles Turner and Sabonis have been, like, all-star talents. I mean, not all-star. I mean, it's mainly Sabonis is an all-star talent. But, like, I mean, James, like, I mean, what do you think of the uh, Sabonis, Miles Turner, Brogdon kind of uh, chemistry they got there? I mean, I think they got something cooking there. I mean, uh, even though they are basically 500, I, you know, I would argue that, you know, the reason why Brogdon's kind of taking a step back a little bit is because Justin Holiday's starting to turn up. Uh, I mean, even Aaron Holiday had 15 points uh, and, you know, they, they both are solid enough players to where they, they can develop enough in the league and, uh, um, and be really good young guys and uh, that are coming up. But, you know, like we just mentioned with Jason Tatum and, uh, and Jalen Brown, that they both need to mature a little bit more, especially since they're both younger than both of them. But, um, you know, I, I like what the Pacers are, uh, have going on, obviously, big dub for the Celtics and tough L for the, the Pacers, but um, Sabonis is an absolute madman. And I love him because he's at, like just tearing up the league and he should have got a first ballot off. He's going road. off. He's going but, off this season. Yeah. Uh, Miles Turner, we, he's looking more and more like he used to back in the day. Um, you know, he, he was really good uh, when everyone would, didn't leave the, the, uh, the Pacers before, but, you know, he's, he's starting to bring that back up again. And I like that about him. He, he was in a slump for a couple of years and now he's starting to pick it up. So I, I like him a lot, but he is an inconsistent player, arguably uh, Brogdon, you know, he's a really good player, but I think that he needs to, you know, learn what his role is a little bit more. I mean, we, it is kind of undetermined on whether he wants to be more of a facilitator or a scorer for that team or both depending on how good he can be at both of them, but which we have seen in the past, but uh, he had a solid game, not great, but solid. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I like what the Pacers are, uh, have going on so far. Same. I, I like what they're doing. Um, I've really liked miles Turner. Miles Turner is awesome. Um, yeah. Inefficient on the offensive end for sure. But you know, man's got three blocks that game. So mm-hmm. he's a defensive monster. Um, so he leaves the league in blocks. I'm, I still think he still holds that title I, this, this I, year. So. I think he does. And um, in Yahoo Fantasy, he's like he was top 10, I think, at one point. Um, and now he's like easily top 25. So, yeah, he's 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 going off this season for sure. But um, I like what James said about Malcolm Brogdon because he's kind of like he's getting a little old. You know, he's 28 years old. So mm-hmm. I think he needs to really find like what he wants to do on the team on his team. 
Uh, and once especially he does if that, he's going to stay at the Pacers, exactly. Especially yeah. with the Pacers, because the Pacers have a lot of. I mean, once Karis LeVert comes back, he's going to be their number one and number two option. You know, yeah. behind he he might. I think he might be behind Sabonis, but obviously we'll see when he comes back. But um, yeah, LeVert once he comes back, like Malcolm Brogdon, I think is going to slip into a more of a facilitator role, which I think suits him more. Anyways, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, my last note for that game, like just give your quick take because I want to move on mainly to the uh, to the Clippers and also have some other topics. But um, the last note I had for that is that the the Pacers had no significant wins, like top like the, the conference like top eight like team wins throughout their whole season. That all their wins have been against like chump teams or like teams that are below either five hundred in the win percentage or like out of the top eight of the conferences, like their their respective Western or Eastern conference. Right. I mean, like, does that show that the Pacers are like? they're like falsely hyped. Is that like James is, do you think that's like falsely hyped or is that like, they're still legit? Um, you know, it could go both ways to be honest. Like realistically, you know, they, they're kind of a relatively new team in certain, in some respect, obviously they have a lot from what they had in previous years with, you know, like Miles Turner and Sabonis, but um, you know, with new additions like Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon are only happening this year. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to say that it's that they're, you know, kind of overhyped this year because they still have some things to work out. But I think that if the team stays together, which it seems like they plan on having that team stay together, then I think that they could do some damage in the next like three years or so. But real, right now, I would probably say that they're relatively overhyped because if they can't beat the best teams in the league, then they have no shot at getting close to the championship in, or even the conference finals for that matter. Yeah. They kind of seem like they're the best worst team this yeah. season, if that makes sense, you know, cause like they can beat, they can beat all the guys under them. And I think they do it pretty easily too. You know, like they, they have solid wins throughout the season. Um, but yeah, once it gets into like top eight, um, in their conference, they start to struggle. So I, I definitely agree with what James said. Yeah, they're kind of in like a limbo state a little bit. But yeah. yeah, it's like a weird spot for them. I think, honestly, just looking at the box score right off the bat, something that really jumped out. I know, Moko, you said you wanted to move on, but something yeah. that jumped out at me is um, they the Pacers, they need more from their bench. I think like TJ McConnell played 24 minutes and put up uh, five shots. So, like, I know it's TJ McConnell, obviously, you know, he's not going to go crazy. But um, I think that if once they get more from their bench, then I think they're going to start cooking a little bit more. He's a solid bench player. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate TJ McConnell. Like, I wouldn't mind having him as like my bench point guard, like a Jeff Teague type. Yeah, so he's, that's he's understandable. Solid. But the only thing I saw mm-hmm. that they didn't have a bench like big man. So I don't know if that hurt their team or not. James, do you think that hurt their team? Uh, it definitely could have. You know, it definitely could have because, uh, you know, Sabonis and Miles Turner are kind of carrying the weight on that team, like you said earlier. And, um, you know, with that comes exhaustion. So they're, you know, by kind of doing some maths real quick, you know, the, it, it gets a little bit difficult when you're, when both of those guys are playing 38 minutes a game. And then, you know, like when, especially when they have like a double header, like the, the, the game after the, they have the first game, like they're, going to be exhausted and not going to be able to play that so if, if they had a decent enough um backup then it would probably take the weight off of those of those guys a little bit more so i would argue that it could hurt them a little bit rude do you have any extra comments before i move on to the uh wizards game not really honestly james pretty much summed it up yeah so uh, the quick thing about the wizards it, like it was a uh, Honestly, looking at the just looking at the pacing of the game, it was a very scrappy game. Like no, the no one's shooting efficient. Like all the shooting efficiencies were down relative to how they usually play both of the teams, and it just seemed like they were just like roughing out to just see who could basically inch to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is also the first game that Tatum finally got out of his rut. I forgot to mention that earlier, but like he's been on like a like Tatum's been on like a four or five game rut of shooting like inefficiently mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, this is his first game. I think he scored like thirty points or something like that this game. So it's good to see that Tatum's back, you know, it's always good to see him back, but yeah, both teams weren't very efficient. I mean, like it's understandable that, you know, they both are pretty, they don't have like both teams don't really have like a superstar or anyone to rely on to just get this team like through the, through these hard, hard games type like games, like the Wizards. So, I mean, James, you have any comments about the Wizards game? Cause there's not really much to talk about from what I see, unless you see something. 
I mean, like, I agree. The only thing that I would really say is that, like, you know, the Celtics got more total rebounds than the Wizards, so that definitely helped them a little bit. Um, got more assists, which is what I liked seeing because, you know, the, like I said, or like I've mentioned before, you know, being able to bring up those assist numbers are, is a big factor for the Celtics that they needed to work on, and in this game they did that, so I was happy for them. Uh, and then points in the paint. They got four more points in the paint than the Wizards. Um, you know, not a huge difference, but enough of a difference to make it a one-point game win. So, I mean, realistically, uh, you know, like, like you said, not much to say here, but solid game overall, really tight all the way through. Just a good game overall in general. Yeah, I watched the highlights. It was a pretty solid game. I, I liked it. Bradley Beal obviously went off. You know, that's no real surprise there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, both teams, honestly, yeah, like I think you put it a good way, Makoto. You said that um, it was pretty scrappy. And I would agree with that. I mean, a lot of the team, the, the I'm just looking at the shooting percentages right now. Um, both teams shot under 35% from three. Um, and both teams shot under, or I, the Celtics shot 47% from the field, which is a very pretty respectable number and 45 for the, Wizards, which is solid, but the three-point shooting was not good this game. You're saying 45% from the field, like general field goal percentage is good? It's like decent. That's pretty solid. I mean, wouldn't you think you would want to score like general field t- goal to be over 50%? Yeah, I mean, I I, I ideally, but like how often does that? It's not like feasible all the time, especially when freaking Kemba Walker's going seven for 17. Yeah, that's I mean, be, that's going to be tough that, to shoot 50%. Yeah, it is one of his last games in his slump because we're going to talk about the Clippers game after this because that's when he went off and actually carried the clip. I probably He probably carried the uh, the Celtics to the win. But, yeah, the Wizards, I mean, they're they're a tough match, and I think they're respectable now, like especially with Bradley Beal and then Westbrook finding his stride. It is really good, and especially when they get Thomas Bryant back and being that anchor in, in the at the five, I think they'll be a really respectable team, like a good eight seed or seven seed, you know, hopefully they, if they get Thomas Bryant back. But uh, I think I'm going to transition on to the Clippers. Uh, I mean, the only note I have is that they didn't play with Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was on rest, of course, so that's why they lost. It's kind of obvious. Paul George can't carry a team. We learned that when he was on the Pacers and when he was on the Thunder. So, yeah, I mean, that's really it. I mean, James, do you have anything else? That's really the only thing I want to put out there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I I would just – I would just say that the, the the Celtics played well as a team together. I mean, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that they didn't play that great, you know, collectively uh, against the Hawks. Um, the, you know, they, 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 they played play pretty well. They went deep in their bench and everybody was getting involved tonight. Uh, almost, almost the entire uh, team didn't score under 10 points only except for uh, Tice, uh, Ojale and Teague. So like overall, just a solid game from the team. Um, looking over at the stats, uh, again, total rebounds, big plus, um, you know, they had, uh, three more steals. That was definitely a help. Uh, and they had more points in the paint. So like overall, just a solid game from the Celtics, Uh, a little bit lackluster from what we've seen a lot from the, uh, from the Clippers. But, um, I mean, obviously, obviously like you, uh, like you stated, Kawhi wasn't there. So that was clearly a big reason why the Celtics won, but I mean, even if Kawhi did play, uh, I mean, arguably they might have. It was a solid game lost. from the yeah. Celtics. It was a yeah, solid it was game. A solid, it was a solid fought, fought game from the Celtics. They, they shot well. They shot almost 50% from both the field goal and uh, uh, three-point. Could have shot a little bit better from free throw, but mm-hmm. overall just a solid game in general. I was actually just about to mention the free throws because, yeah, the Celtics didn't shoot great from um, for uh, from the charity stripe, 73%, but the Celtics also had 23 free throws against the Clippers, nine. Yeah. So I think that that definitely tells something about just, like, being aggressive in the paint um, and just being just being aggressive in general. Yeah, I mean, they limiting the limiting the Clippers to only nine free throws in the uh, total amount of the game was definitely a – a huge move and for them not to uh, commit as many personal fouls uh, against uh, the, the Celtics, you know, like that, it was, it was really, a really solid effort from the team to not be able to foul as much because normally the Celtics do foul a decent amount. I mean, so almost every NBA team does, but for this game in specific, it was a really solid performance. And the Clippers are a solid free throw shooting team. So yeah. it's definitely good to keep, you know, if you can keep them off the line, that's definitely a plus. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the 
the Clippers are still a top four team in the West. So, I mean, For sure. especially yeah, now yeah. top four, not top three, because that's actually my next uh, one of our uh, hot, actually one of, one of my one minute hot takes I'm going to bring up to you guys after. But um, uh, I just wanted to mainly talk about the Celtics performance. Uh, funny enough, I saw the stat that really stuck out to me. So we're, uh, the stat I'm going to bring up is points per game and oppos- opposing points per game. So the Celtics currently uh, score 100 on average, 110, 110 points per game, which is ranked 22nd in the league, which is like, you know, below 500 of the league. And they, you know, they're allowing 110 points, which is seventh in the league, which is really interesting that they're allowing that little points. And they're also one of the they, they allow the least amount of points in the league or one of the few uh, least amount of whatever, the, one of the teams that allow the least amount of points, but their defensive <laughs> rating is also 18th out of 30, yeah. which is like the, the thing that's really boggles my mind is like, how the hell could they allow these little amount of points, but their defense defense absolutely is tra- relatively trash compared to most of the teams. I mean, yeah, it's but, definitely kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I just I like, think- I, I feel some type of way about it. Cause like it, realistically it's like, if you if you can allow such little points, then like why wouldn't your defense be top tier in the league? But like I don't know, it's just like it, it doesn't. It, it kind of I can I can see why it boggles your mind a little bit because like I I'm kind of in the same boat. But like at the same time, it's also like probably because the the Celtics offense is decently enough efficient to where the um the opposing teams probably won't be able to counterattack against that but i don't know i could be wrong <laughs> yeah that that definitely is a weird one i honestly don't even have anything to say about that that yeah, i've been wrong before. <laughs> yeah the other thing i really wanted to bring up about that is that we're our offense are like are the points amount of, uh, amount of points we score is just absolutely like terrible compared to most of the league and i don't know if that's a problem that we like Maybe because Brown has been injured every so often. Maybe that's why we haven't scored as many points, or maybe that Kemba's been terrible generally in most most of this, you know, most of the season. You know, he has his couple like upticks in in a couple uh, series of games, but then you know, most of the time he's not scoring. He's like his field goal percentage is absolutely trash. I mean, like it was funny enough that uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up real quick, like you just give you like your one minute, like just make this like a one minute hot take. But like I saw this thing on on YouTube. This guy I watched who does like rebuilds and stuff on, on NBA 2K. He said that uh, one of the reasons why the Celtics is are not doing as well, like this is one of his reasons, like one of his reasons is that they lost a good playmaker and scorer in Gordon Hayward, and that they should try to trade for a guy like a like for so he he chose Demar Derozan as a guy they should trade for as a good scorer, you know, good offensive guy, and he still can play really good defense. You know, he's not a great three point shooter, but we have a lot of good shooters already, so maybe he's the guy who can run, who can like get more points for the team and like be a better offense overall. Like what's your quick take on that James and Reed? Yeah. I mean, like I can, I can see it. I'm not a big fan because you, you guys already got the pure scores in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So like for me, exactly I would I say, yeah, like uh, for me, like, I just feel like it, it would be kind of a waste to try and get another three level score. Cause like, you tried that with with Gordon Hayward originally, and then it it, it didn't totally work out. So like, I don't know. I, I feel like you're getting a similar type player in Demar Derozan that you did with Gordon Hayward. So I, I don't know. I mean, like it could work, but re- I see more downside than I do upside with that because of what we've saw what we saw with Gordon Hayward previously. Yeah, I agree with what James said. Um, Cause Gordon Hayward could um, could he could pass the ball a little bit better than Demar Derozan. I know Demar Derozan he's doing pretty he's doing pretty well this season. But um, overall, I think Gordon Hayward could pass the ball better than him. So I think that getting a guy who is even more focused on scoring, in addition with playing um, playing with Tatum and Brown, I think that would cause a lot of problems. At least, I mean, we've seen the net, the Nets, you know, have Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, all three solid scorers, but they all kind of slipped into like different roles and they've been working out so far. And also KD has been out for a little bit, but they seem to have worked it out. Um, but I don't see DeMar DeRozan really going into, like James Harden took a much bigger playmaker role this season when he got to the Nets. Um, so I, and I don't think DeMar DeRozan would go that far into playmaking. You know, I think he would still be a scorer and I think that that would cause issues with how many shots are getting up and it would take even more shots away from bench players on the Celtics who already don't get a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming I uh, with this with this hypothetical, you're assuming that they're going to throw away some of their bench players to get Demar. And like, the, I see the I see some positives that he can finish at the rim way better than most of the Celtics players can, especially with Kemba Agreed. not playing as well. He's a great finisher, which is like one thing that I think the Celtics are a little bit lacking compared to most. Like, they're not bad, but I think they could improve at that. And also just having that threat of like this guy driving in, he's probably going to score like 80% of the time type of deal. Like with right. like a lot of the, I guess Brown is our guy for that, but he's also been injured part of the season. So there is, so there is like, it's a hypothetical, of course, like this is not actually going to happen. And also I saw a lot of rumors saying that Celtics, like they, the trades they've put up, like no has been biting. So like, I think they're going to stick with their team. Like they don't have like tried to make any like winning type trades or like any ballsy trades mm-hmm. relative to most teams. So I think they're playing pretty conservative with the uh, front office type type stuff. So I don't know like what the deal with that is. I don't know if they're going to try to make a trade before the deadline. If they are, you know, I couldn't think of anybody else except for like maybe a center or maybe a score, of course. But uh, I mean, if you guys have any like quick things on that, like just the thoughts on the GM GM thing, like the them not being aggressive in trades and stuff. Do they really need it? Like James, do you think they really need it for that? Um, I mean, like. <sighs> As much as I don't want to say that they do need it, I do kind of think that they need it only because they've kind of sticked with the same tactic of hoping that they get good guys in the draft consistently throughout the year, throughout the years, which has worked out for them in some respect. But like realistically, you know, maybe it's a time, maybe it's time for a little bit of a game game plan change to you know, look at some guys in the off season. Cause you know, if, if, you, if they can pick up guys during the season or before, whenever the, whenever the trade line trade deadline ends, um, then uh, you know, it, it could be a worthy move depending on who they get. But, you know, like that's a, again, that's a whole different conversation with like certain players that they're picking and more, you know, hot takes on whether or not these guys would be right for the team or not. Mm-hmm. I think the Celtic to me are kind of like the old man in the league, you know, that like hate change. Like yeah, it seems like, you know, like Brad Stevens and the rest of their front office is kind of like, no, we have our plan. We have our guys and we're going to make it work with what we have, you know, cause they, they put a lot of faith in Brad Stevens as a coach, rightfully. So he is a good coach, mm-hmm. but um, I think that at some point you need to kind of realize like, okay, we need to take a step back and, you know, maybe look at some trade options because like James said, the draft has been working out, but realistically you got to get, you got to make some off season or not off season. Um, you got to make some moves before the trade deadline. I mean, yeah, like, we could see a potential 2006 type of run with the Celtics trying to like making that big trade for Kevin Garnett and they already had Paul Pierce and all that, you know, like in the Rondo, and I think that could be a move, um, maybe in this year or next year. It, we could we could make a, like a 26, 20, uh, 2006 run. I think it was two thousand six. A uh, two thousand six run again with that kind of like mindset, like just get a big a big like big time free agent, and we have a good supporting pieces around him. You know, like Brown, and I wouldn't say Tatum's a supporting piece. I would say he would also lead the team with that person, like a LeBron mm-hmm. AD type. So I think that could be a really good thing. So we'll see how what they do. But I think I want to move on to our hot, my one-minute hot takes. I think they're going to go longer than a minute with these two ones because I think you guys have a lot <laughs> they, to say about it. They always do. They always yeah, do. They always do. But um, this first one, we actually I did mention to you guys earlier this week. So I first thing, are the Sixers legit? And I'm going to bring this up real quick, a couple of points. that the, They're playing against a weak E, a relatively weak E. So they've been getting a lot of wins from that. But also their, their record against Western Conference teams, at least from when I last checked on Tuesday, was eight, uh, five and eight. And that's all. And they had a good quality win against the Lakers, but they lost against the, I think the Clippers or the or the Jazz. So they have they've been you know a half and half on those type of big teams. So like, quick thing, uh, James, are the Sixers legit? No, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> like they're still working out like a lot of the kinks that they've had in previous years. I mean, you know, I I look at the Sixers team more and more every day, and I and. To me personally, it just seems more and more likely that Joel Embiid will want to leave at some point. And, you know, like there's like I know that everyone's like, oh, trust the process. But like realistically, that's been going on for like what, like four or five years now? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, is the process going to ever like finish? (laughs) You know, like like, there has to be an end. Like you can't have a process with no end in sight. Exactly. So it's like, you know, as as solid of a first seed that they are and I put first seed in quotations because I really don't think it'll last until the end of the season you know they they have 
they have been known to be dysfunctional a lot of the times during the season. And even though we haven't been seeing it as of late, it happened at the beginning of the season when it was rumored that Joel Embiid was going to leave the Sixers. So like when that stuff kind of goes around, a lot of locker room chatter happens, you know, a lot of people are talking about the coaching staffs and everything. So it's just, it, and it all goes back to the GM. So like, realistically, do I think that the, the Sixers are legit? Probably not. That's what I'll, that's what I'll end off with. I have to agree with that because um, so the weast, the, the weast, the weast. yeah, the weast. <laughs> um, the East is relatively weak this year. Um, as we've seen, you know, like the biggest competition being the Nets. I think that's pretty obvious. And the Bucks are obviously still in that conversation with Giannis. Um, you know, the Heat have kind of fallen off for, you know, what happened um, last season, which is honestly kind of tragic in my opinion. Um, but like a lot of these teams, that the Sixers, you know, are consistently playing, like James said, like, I don't know what's going to happen when they go up in like a seven game series against, let's say the Lakers, right. Hypothetically, if that happens, um, I do not see the Sixers beating. Actually, I would even put that. Um, I would say Lakers and Clippers, I would say would be able to easily beat them in a seven game series. So I think that if the Sixers really do want to be like the threat that they are now, we need to see, more from Ben Simmons. Okay, he kind of like mm-hmm. fell off this season, low key, a little bit. Uh, I scoring. don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in sc- in scoring, a little bit. He hasn't been scoring as uh, he hasn't been scoring as much. So I don't think that he, you know, he's not really super helping them. And also, I don't. I mean, this is just like a team thing. But I don't think Ben Simmons works well with Joel Embiid to begin with. If you're at, you know, that might be a hot take, but like, I don't think that I don't think that they work together. Like to well, add to to Reed's point, like just a, for like a quick minute, like Ben Simmons realistically on paper should be an All Star every every year for the rest of his career. Realistically, yeah, and he's just not. He's not going to be. And like the that's that's kind of where Reed's point comes in, in that like he might not work with the system that they have. Either keep Embiid or keep Simmons, but it might be it might be time or encroaching on that time where they might have to pick one or the other. You know, it's funny enough that, uh, first of all, the process has been going on since like 2012 ish. I, yeah. I remember watching a video on that. So, like, it's been going on for almost 10 years. And, <laughs> and it's ended not, up like this. That's not good. And second of all, a 10 year process. I think, <laughs> a 10 year process. And also, it's like another thing. I think people have been talking about the Ben Simmons trade or the Joel B trade for like three years now. Yeah. And they, and they still stick with it. And, you know, I don't know what their, I don't know what their plan is. I mean, they got a better coach and they're, they're making a game plan that works a lot better than Bruce Brown did last few it's years. Fair. So, yeah. freaking trash ass coach but uh yeah yeah and I, that's my that's my one swear word for the podcast yeah he i hate i, I really hate bruce brown he's a really terrible coach he yeah because he's really ruined the sixers relative what they had their potential like if they had doc rivers this whole time i think they would have been like a, a championship contender this like most of the time they had they had ben simmons and joel Embiid. but uh Maybe. i mean yeah i i don't see them winning especially with the west having good players Especially if they play against the Jazz, I'm really worried if they play against the Jazz, it's going to be a full sweep. I think it's going to be like Mercy Rule sweep with the Jazz because they got Gobert covering yeah. Joel and they got their whole perimeter guys like rotating on, on Tobias Harris and, and Ben Jingles Simmons. It would not be a fun game. Simmons. What's up? J- Jingles is going to lock down Ben yes. Simmons. Yes. Yes. Totally our big would. three got Jingles. Would. I swear he would. <laughs> I'd put yes. money on that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next, because uh, I know we're gonna, we, I have the timer up on my thing, but yeah, we have the next one is gonna make James really happy. Can the Suns make noise in the West? They are now the two seed in the Western Conference. And James, I need to hear your opinion first. Do you think they can make some noise now? I think they're how how well they've played the past, you know, recently, especially going into the All Star break. Yeah, I I definitely think that they could, and not just because I'm biased, but necessarily, but like they're working well together as a team and they're making, you know, they're like, uh, for lack of a better term, they're making profit right now. You know, if they, they're doing damage on, on the league and doing damage on big teams that are normally like the best team in the leagues. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, at, when the, when the season started, I was kind of skeptical. Okay. They, they could maybe make the playoffs. They could, you know, maybe, you know, win a game or two in the first round. But now I'm fully confident that they'll probably make the second round, And depending on what seed they are. If they are the sixth seed, then I'm not 100% sure. 
But um, it, it, like I, I was saying to you guys the other night, you know, the uh, um, if they're the four or the five, I think that they could definitely make the second round and possibly even make a run for uh, the Western Conference Finals. Do I think that it'll happen? Probably not. But I would say as of right now, I think that they are almost a guaranteed second round playoff team. But yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say about it. I agree. The Suns are making noise. I think they already have made noise, first off. Yeah. So I think they already are, you know, whatever process thing that they're working out in their, um, you know, on the court, it's working out, obviously. Um, I mean, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, uh, uh, Chris Paul, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, like, I mean, those are three really solid players that you got, especially, I mean, with um, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they're working really well together. Uh, Jay Crowder, uh, I haven't really been following him, but I know he's a solid guy, solid role player, um, good shooter. So they have a lot of weapons and they're obviously utilizing them. Uh, and I think just by watching the games itself, they seem like they just want it more. You know, like yeah, Chris Paul is like just going for it. You know what I'm saying? He wants that ring, and I think Book is going to help him get it, honestly. And Devin Booker won Western Conference Player of the Month this month, which was huge for him. So, Especially, you know, it, like, the Western Conference is no joke, bro. They got AD, yeah. LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George. Like, those are solid players to beat out. They're building a lot of confidence on that team, and I think that it'll, it'll definitely work out for them in the end. And hopefully in the near future, it'll be a championship winning team. Yeah, I mean, it's funny enough that um, it was funny that I heard this thing from a guy I watched on YouTube, but it's funny enough that the the last game they played, I forgot who they played. Uh, they played the Lakers uh, mm-hmm. during the third and into the fourth quarter. They were just running their bench unit because it was just working. Like they didn't want to sub in Chris Paul or anything. They just kept the bench unit rolling because they just yep. were picking up steam. And it was just crazy to see that even their bench unit is really efficient because they have, you know, Mikel Bridges on that team. You know, Jake Crowder, they got, of course, we have, we talk about these names, but like they're, they have solid role players as well as their stars in Chris Paul, Dem Booker, even Dodger Aiden, even though he's taken a step back this year just because of the introduction of Chris Paul to the offense. So it's understandable why he is taking a step back, but they have really good solid players. And even some of their younger guys, like I think Nate, I don't know if uh, Nader, how old he is, but yeah, they have Nader as well in Sarich. They mm-hmm. have really good solid players, and I think they could easily make, I agree with all, with everybody. I think they can make some noise. I'm just worried how they're going to play against like, you know, teams that are deeper, like the jazz or like maybe even the Clippers. Cause I think they could beat the Lakers if they really lock up the two stars and just let their, let the other guys try to like make some offense, which they can't on the Lakers to, relative to the other two stars. So mm-hmm. I'm just worried if they have to play the jazz or the Clippers are my two big worries in the, in the West. But otherwise I think they could easily push for like a, a Western conference championship or even the finals. If they get, if they have to face like, or if they get to face like an easier team, relative yeah. to what I've said earlier. It all depends yeah. on where everyone's seated at the end of the day. Yeah, especially if they have home court advantage. That's mm-hmm. going to be the big thing for them. That would be huge. But, yeah, that's really it for the one-minute hot takes. And I, I'm really – it's exciting to see all these, like, just teams come out of nowhere, like the Suns coming out of nowhere, like, the seeing the Sixers. Like, we're questioning the Sixers now. Like, and also, not to mention, they're first in the, in the, the division. We thought the Bucks were going to be first or even the Nets. Mm-hmm. And they're still – the Nets are still second, but – yeah, that's really it for the, this season. Yeah, that the is box. that's really it. And uh, we're running low on time. It says less than a minute. Of course, we're still doing this on Zoom. Hopefully, we get the in-person stuff set up soon. But yeah, until until next week, hopefully we can talk about more stuff about basketball. Some stuff happens before the All-Star break. But yeah, until the next week, y'all. Peace. And we are back. It's time to talk about some Florida Gator defense. But first off, let's start with some breaking news from this weekend of of the Eric Gilbert, you know, uh, transfer situation. So he officially decommits from Florida. And he said that over Twitter. Uh, I think it was either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, it was like some weird time because like everyone seemed to see it at a very different moment. But yeah, he is now decommitted from Florida and is entering the transfer portal again. So we will see how that goes uh, with him because maybe he'll take the JUCO route or he'll go back to LSU. We really don't know what his situation is. But the you know the reason why he really uh, left Florida was like a mix of uh, grades and personal off-field issues from from some of the insiders that follow the uh, Florida Gator scene a little more closely than I do just because I'm, you know, I'm not from the area. I'm a Northern Gator, as I call myself, you know, I'm from the North, but I still love to follow Florida Gators. So yeah, just a quick thing on the Eric Gilbert thing. I, you know, it kind of does suck that we have to lose a, a star like Eric Gilbert on the tight end room. So we still have, you know, we still have Kamari Gamble and we still got Keon Zipper who had good uh, reps and experience from last year that can hopefully translate to next year and also be able to still 
uh, a mentor in the new guys, you know, Gage Wilcox and Nick Elksness. So we'll see if, what they can do with those guys. But, you know, I think we're still solid at tight end room. You know, we were pretty stacked in the skill positions. You know, our, our running back room, as we talked about last week, was pretty stacked with Demarcus Bowman coming in. But also with tight ends, we did pretty good. The only concern was wide receiver. And we thought, you know, Eric, Eric Gilbert could be our wide receiver threat or just our receiver threat as a tight end like uh, uh, Pitts was. So we'll hope, hopefully we'll find someone like, like someone will step up like uh, Gamble or Zipper. Uh, next season to be able to be that threat at the tight end room but yeah it really does suck to hear that uh eric gilbert had you know he's i mean the off-field issues is it's understandable if there's a lot of things that's going on with his life that we can't know about it's understandable like you don't want to like force a guy into do some, doing something when he has a lot of stuff going on and i mean and the greatest thing is is you know it's kind of tough that you know a kid that we really wanted to come to florida and we really wanted him to you know, participate with the team and potentially, you know, win a championship with him or like go far with with him before he goes to the draft. You know, it's kind of sucks that he has his grades were in the way, but you know, it's some kids aren't you know made to be uh, Florida Gator standard because you know UF is a really good school, it's a top ten uh, public school, so they have some standards on like what kind of kids they bring in. So, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, and also. Yeah, it's, it'll be tough for the offense. You know, that was a big hit. And that was, of course, as we said last week, in the 24-7 top uh, transfer rec- uh, rankings, he was number one. And then we lost our number one number one guy in, tra- in the transfer part on to the transfer portal again. And, yeah, I mean, we still got DeMarcus Bowman, Bowman who is ranked number two. So we'll hopefully see how what he does during spring practice. But for right now, you know, that's all we're going to get on with the offense. Uh, you know, it just sucks that we didn't get to keep Eric Gilbert. But yeah, let's get on to the defense. So the defense, there's a lot less that we know about. At least, you know, a couple things that would stand out from like press conferences that I've watched and stuff that, you know, we talked about Zachary Carter from last year who who had like a big role in the offense being on the either in the inside or the outside line. You know, he could switch in and out depending on how it, what the needs were. And they're pro- and Dan Mullen actually in his press conference said he's still going to do that with uh, Zachary Carter next year. So, you know, he has that versatility and on the line, you know, bring in guys like Dewan, uh, uh, Dequan Newkirk and also Ant- Antonio Shelton. Hopefully that Carter will be pushed more to the outside because I think that's where he shines as a defensive end over being a defensive tackle or a nose tackle. Because I think that our – thank God we had uh, – uh, Kyrie Campbell uh, last year to fill that nose tackle position when uh, when he came back. So we were able to put Carter on the outside and play to his strengths compared to having to fill the middle and also fill the middle along with uh, fill with the middle with along with the uh, the freshman. Oh yeah, Gervon Dexter. You know they had probably played the the middle the most uh, when uh, uh, Kyrie Campbell was out. But yeah, so I mean on on the well, let's talk about defensive line first since we're on that real quick. So yeah, Zachary Carter is back for the. Uh, you know, for the defensive edge, and also we have uh, Brent Cox who's coming back, who's also going to be a big, take a big role on the edge. So it's, I'm assuming, you know, with all things like playing that we, we think it's going to happen, we're going to have Zachary Carter on the, I think we're going to have him on the right side or the uh, defensive end side, and then on the buck buck end, we're going to have uh, uh, Brendan Cox. So we'll see. Brent, Brenton Cox, and we'll see how he, I mean, we know they're really good guy, really good players, and they can they can easily rush the passer and get pressure. So we just need to look at that nose, those defensive ta- line positions, defensive tackle positions specifically with Antonio Shelton and, uh, um, come on. Oh, DeJuan Newkirk, of course. But we also, you know, have Gervon Dexter, who got some experience last year. I remember he got an interception during, I think, the Old Miss or South Carolina game. That was really hyped to see that, like, this freshman out of nowhere just gets an interception. Uh, one of the first couple games, like actual serious games with no spring practice. It was great to see. And, you know, he did he did okay for, like, you know, the eyeball test, at least for me, because it looks like he just, you know, he stuffed the, he, he was, uh, you know, a body up on the line. You know, he got a sack or two here every so often, but he was never really that impact player like Kyrie Campbell who can break, break off those, uh, shut off those offensive linemen and get to the quarterback and actually put some real pressure on the quarterback. So we'll hopefully Gervon Dex will take a step forward with spring practice because he did not have that freshman year for his freshman year and you know he'll probably be better I'm assuming he'll take a step forward you know hopefully with no off-field issues or anything because you know that can happen to some players you know uh with their first spring practice or with the not their first spring practice but you know during the offseason they can start to slack a little bit so we'll see what Gervon Dexter can do also with the other guys that are coming up we have Jalen Lee Lamar Goods who are in the new freshman coming up as well or not new freshmen but they're freshmen as well with uh Gervon Dexter so we'll see what they can do and then Jalen Humphreys of course who redshirted but yeah, I mean that's really it for the line. I mean Desmond Watson is a new signee that just came in. That he's he's make he's uh make uh, making a lot, a lot of eyeballs uh 
look at him just because of size and his and his mobility with at his size, which is the big thing that you know everyone's turning their head to because like he's he's was it 430 pounds or something like that, like around 400 pounds, and he's able to like push guys around. Like you see him, you see the live videos if you've been following those, you just see him push a guy and he's like there's no way no stopping him like once he gets off gets that first push off the line you can't stop um desmond watson so we'll see how that translates to an sec level you know offensive lines like alabama georgia those kind of guys and we'll see how he compares but at least this freshman year it looks promising he has a lot of upside hopefully we'll see how he translates once he gets some actual playing minutes or gets some actual minutes next year or even the year after but yeah, I mean that looks. It looks, you know, Desmond Watson gives me hope that our offensive, our defensive line is going to look really good for the future. And of course, the edge rushers we got, you know, Bogle, we got Lang as well coming up from uh, coming up from last year. And also we have our new signees, Tyreek Sapp, who is like the probably the biggest name um, from the uh, 2021 signing class, and maybe he'll be an impact player that'll get a few snaps this year and get some experience uh, at the at the edge positions along with Carter and Cox. You know, I think those guys are mainly going to take up most of the snaps. But, you know, when you need they need that rest, you're going to put in, like, Chatter, uh, Ch- uh, Chatfield or we could put in Sap at, at the end positions, and we'll see how they can do. Because uh, the end position at, at Florida is really uh, stacked compared to most years. So we'll see how that uh, how that plays out with, the, with the, out, the outside linebackers. But, yeah, for the linebacker position, we are looking at, uh, of course, Amari Bernie's coming back, David Reese is coming back. And I think the big guy to highlight on your, on your sheet – for next year is Mohamed Diabate. He was a big guy who like made some big strides during the season, and hopefully he'll be able to like take another step. Of course, with um, spring practice, and then Ventral Miller, of course, is back. So we're I'm thinking you know Ventral Miller is going to be our main run stuffer type of guy, and I think uh, Diabate is going to be more of our passing, our pass linebacker type of guy who can, who can be in coverage in the middle of the field, you know, for those quick slants or those short passes uh, down the middle of the field. And then we you know we have uh, Tyron Hopper and Derek Wingo. Who got a couple snaps here and there last year? Got some experience. Maybe they'll take another step forward. You know, there's a lot of guys with some experience on this team. You know, there's not it's not as much as you want because our team is relatively young. And uh, thank God we have some experience. Example for like Zachary Carter, Ventral Miller, uh, what is his name? Uh, Brandon Cox, of course, and uh, of course Gervon Dexter with people with experience that can hopefully be able to carry this, keep this team, uh, keep this defense going. Because you know, as we said last year. Our defense was not that great, uh, great, and you know the only way you can go is up from here. So hopefully we'll see that with all the new guys that we bring in, and also with the guys who are coming, returning back from last year, who bring that experience. And I think we're going to transition to the uh, secondary, which is our probably our weakest and our least experienced uh, secondary that we've had in a while, because we have had Kyrie Elam, of course, and then Jaden Hill, who both were freshmen last year, who got snaps every so often you know there were not like star players uh because we had you know uh shoe thrower what's his name marco wilson <laughs> i'm always gonna remember marco wilson i'm not gonna remember donovan stein i like i you know this donovan steiner and all those guys in the secondary but yeah like hopefully these guys will be disciplined better like we're not gonna have a marco wilson is incident like our whole defense hopefully will be disciplined better we won't have another marco wilson incident you know, safety our our big our big returner from on, on the safety positions is uh, Trey Dean, and he's probably gonna play a lot of strong safety this year because he's got that bigger build, and I think he's showed that he's made strides. Especially that interception against Alabama was the big, probably highlight moment of his career, his um, last last season. You know, even though he got like I mean blindsided, I I thought it was a blindside, but you know, it's it, the refs can only do so much. And I'm, we can always blame the refs for everything, but you know, eventually we just need to be better than the other, the other team, no matter how bad the calls are. We need to just be better. So that's my little rant on that. But yeah, uh, trading's coming back, so that's a great you know leadership for the secondary core. You know, we bring in guys like you know uh, Don, uh, Donovan McMillan and Corey Collier, who's going to be really good. Dakota Mitchell, another another freshman coming in. But then of course we have our guys from the uh you know freshmen that didn't really get much uh minutes like Rashad Torrance is probably going to be our free safety I think a lot of people are predicting uh Rashad Torrance to be our free safety next year Travis Johnson and another guy that another name you hear every so often I think you hear his name a lot more in practice I think Dan Mullen has mentioned his name a few times during uh, the press conferences so you know that's a good sign that these some of these guys from last year who didn't get much you know play time and also not much you know snaps uh on the defense they're getting you know Dan Mullins is impressed by them and hope impressed by them and their performance in spring so hopefully they'll be able to you know make strides and be able to get some get some more meaningful snaps next year in the secondary but yeah I mean 
Also, you know, Jason Marshall, I forgot to mention it when we were talking about cornerbacks, but Jason Marshall's probably going to be a guy who's going to start in the nickel, hopefully. Uh, if you know Jaden, or even you start as a number two uh, cornerback, if Jaden Hill doesn't take as many steps as we want him to, being a guy with a little bit more experience like Kyrie Elam, because I'm pretty sure Kyrie Elam's going to be our number one cornerback for next year. He's that lockdown type of corner we've had every year from you know uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, um, C.J. Henderson, and now uh, Kyrie Elam. You know last year we didn't really have that, and I think that's what really struggled uh, made our defense struggle on the secondary. It's just because. It, those past few years, we've had a, a lockdown corner on one side of the field to lock down that side of the field. So uh, um, Den, uh, Todd Grantham is able to actually allocate more people to the other side, depending on what type of skill positions the other team has. So we'll see what uh, Kyrie uh, Elam can do. Hopefully he'll be able to make you know be that type of C.J. Henderson type of a cornerback that we need on our defense. I mean, hopefully. And also, uh, quick news about the the, the cornerbacks that uh, – uh, Dan Mullen said they're going to try to go to more of a man type of defense, so they're not going to go as much zone as they did last year, where they're given like 15 yards of pressure uh, of cushion on the on the on the receivers on the opposing receivers, which is a really good thing that they're they're confident. You know, going to a man uh, defense means they're confident in those guys locking up whoever it needs to be locked up on the on the perimeter, and you know, making sure that you know our offensive line can our defensive line can get pressure on the quarterback and you know give them time. For that, but you know, I think man is probably our, our way to go for Florida defense. And you know, this zone had didn't really pop like pan out too well last year. We saw that, and it was just horrible to see the them get absolutely smoked by every single like good receiver that they came up against. You know, oh, what's his name? Uh, the George Pickens from Georgia, of course. And then we have our the old Miss guys who are really fast in general. And then we also have you know, we saw the Alabama game, it was not fun to watch that game. But yeah, the big thing was, you know, seeing Devontae Smith and George Pickens just completely tear up the defense. You know, even though we won the Georgia game, but still, like, it's it's not fun to see the secondary game tore up compared to past years when we've had good cornerbacks in the backfield to help protect against those those uh, really good wi- uh, opposing wide receivers. But yeah, there's a lot of guys on this on these uh, on this roster. A lot of guys with you know somewhat exp- a lot of, like a few veteran guys, but a lot of young guys who relative to the veterans haven't had much experience and we were just hoping with the spring practice you know since last year we didn't have that hopefully they can take strides get better and develop because we know Dan Mullen and his staff are great developers of you know players characters and hopefully that will translate to the football field as it usually did with the past couple years but you know we'll see just because of the young the young team doesn't mean we're not going to be uh bad you know, because we could we could develop these guys to being good, serviceable starters next year, and we'll have a like a solid defense, and hopefully, you know, with a with a new kind of revamped offense, our balanced offense that we had um, with um, we have with uh, Emory Jones, and you know, all, and uh, what's his name, uh, Demarcus Bowman, we'll hopefully be able to keep that defense rolling, our offense rolling, and not have any, you know, not miss, miss uh, skip a beat, as they say. And the defense can hopefully hold up um, play or hold up teams better than they did last year. Because I think that if we are, if we get to figure out defense, I think we'll be fine. I really think we'll be fine if we figure out defense. We can, you know, still make. I think we'll have a chance to beat Georgia next year. You know, I'm having a little bit of opt, you know fans optimism in the beginning of the year. Like I'm not really. I don't like being a pessimist or like a super big optimist or like you know I like to praise. I don't like to praise a team so much. I like to be in that middle ground. I just want to you know. I see what the results are. I see like what the coaches are saying, what the insiders are talking about, and the videos that they're putting out live is really helpful to see like what they're doing and how these guys like look. You know, just from an eyeball test, like we haven't seen any scrimmages yet because I think their first planned scrimmage they actually Dan Mullen announced this and is uh, yesterday, uh, March first, on his uh, press release that he's gonna have his first official scrimmage on this Saturday, the first Saturday of March. So hopefully we'll like we'll hopefully they'll actually post some clips from that and you know we can see how these guys are developing how these guys are doing because we've only had like six they've only had like six uh, practices this spring so hopefully they'll be able to do that and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do the the scrimmage of course and be able to we'll be able to see like you know from a, from you know an, a fan's perspective like we have do we have confidence in this in this team because we haven't really seen too much other than you know the big guy Desmond Watson pushing over every single offensive lineman they have there. I mean that's kind of the funniest clips that have been going around the Florida Florida circles on Twitter. You know that's kind of that's kind of cool that we have that, but like you know I think seriously we need to look at I think the key things that we need to look at when this when it comes to the scrimmage is looking at the skill positions on offense. You know the wide receiver and tight end rooms and see how they are 
progressing for next year. And then also we need to look at mainly uh, the secondary. So I think the wide receivers and the secondary, like cornerback safety, are what we need to like focus on and see if they're developing and improving. And if, if we, you know, if they're developing at a good rate, and I, we think they're they're going to be like confident enough, or Demol and, and Todd Grantham is going to be confident en- enough to put them on the field, I think we'll be fine. I think we won't skip a beat. It's going to be more of a retool year, I guess. But I I just hope we don't have to like, you know, like last year, like we're just coming in, we're still coming into the first game, like not sure about who we're going to start, how we're going to play this game, like what players do we know can do well because we never had that development or never had that um. Springtime, spring practice, of course, but like, hopefully, with this, we'll be able to work out all the kinks and be, you know, solid the first week against FAU and, and USF because those games are going to be big. You know, going to going back to about the schedule that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Hopefully, that we could show those Florida teams that like show the whole state of Florida that we are the school in Florida. That this will also be like a good recruiting game that we need to show that we you can come here and it's going to be a really fun, like a good time because you'll be able to develop. You'll be NFL ready by the time you leave here whenever you decide to leave, but hopefully you'll stay and we can win championships together Like if you come to Florida type of deal. Because I think that's I think what that's what, you know, I think he hasn't said anything about this, but I think Dan Mullen's really thinking about those first two games and, like, thinking that this is going to be a big, like, showing that um, showing out to, like, all of Florida to say, like, yeah, we you should come here over going to Miami and um, Florida State. And funny enough, I'm actually going to transition to a little, like, thing I do on the Boston Celtics side, if you stay for that, it's the one minute hot takes. And, you know, I'm actually funny enough, I'm going to, my hot take, not, it's not really a hot take, but I have like a little topic, maybe a one minute topic is about the recruiting in Florida. I actually wanted to talk about the, um, you know, the dynamic there, especially since Gus Malzahn got hired at UCF. And I talked about it a little bit saying like, I'm, wor- I'm a little bit worried about the recruits, especially in the Orlando area now. But, you know, I think now with the, t- you know, going into the one minute topic, I'm really thinking that Manny Diaz has surpassed Dan Mullen as the top recruiter in Florida now, especially with this most recent class. And I think Mike Norvell's making steps, making strides to become that, take that number two spot from Dan Mullen. And I, I still, you know, I saw the ranking, uh, funny enough, uh, I watched this, I watched this podcast called uh, Late Kick with Josh Pate, and he actually gave out the rankings for the top recruiters in the state of Florida. And funny enough, Dan Mullen was third, and they actually put, uh, they put, of course, Manny Diaz first, but I think they actually put Mike Norvell above uh, Dan Mullen. And I think it's just a, I think that's just because Dan Mullen himself is, doesn't view recruiting as big as Manny Diaz would, or like, and even his, I think his staff is bigger than in recruiting than himself, which is, I don't know if that, that's probably a bad thing that your, your coach isn't focusing on recruiting as much as he should. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes, you know, in the next couple of years, next couple of recruiting cycles. But that is worrying to me that we're that potentially Mike Norvell t- is surpassed Dan Mullen because if you are better in recruiting than some other team, eventually in so many years, you'll you'll accumulate enough talent to be better than that team, and you'll be able to out talent them. Even if you know Dan Mullen's a great X's and O's guy, you'll still be able to out talent them. Like it'll end up being like an Alabama, Florida, like where it's like their team is so much more talented than ours that it doesn't matter what you scheme up. Like it's gonna be a really hard battle to win. Like you're not gonna be favored. So, you know, Manny Diaz, that's going to be troubling for Dan Mullen. If he could pick up, you know, recruiting and just, and try to fight for that first spot with Manny Diaz and maybe even stay two, the two spot um, in the in the, in the the state of Florida, that's kind of where I'm hoping he's, he'll stay, like, if he can make strides to do that, you know, first, you know, baby steps. First, let's get to two. Let's, let's out-recruit Mike Norvell, and then let's re- out-recruit Mike Manny Diaz and also try to recruit the state of Florida in general because – you know, now we have, you know, Jeff Scott at USF, and then we have Gus Malzahn at UCF. And that's going to be the thing that we have to worry about now because Jeff Scott is a really good recruiter. And same with, Gu- I mean, Gus Malzahn is not as good. Like, I wouldn't rank him, like, out of all the Florida, Florida head coaches, which is like seven of them, I would probably rank him like five or four at most. But, yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think he'll make his, I, I, you know, a lot of people are like hyped over, you know, I think the UCF fans should be hyped about Gus Malzahn. He has that experience, especially that SEC experience that could help translate to the AAC, you know, being a little bit of a, a weaker conference compared to the SEC. So maybe he'll be able to transition better. And I know he, he said uh, specifically in his press conference that he wants to recruit Florida hard. So that's going to be a uh, thing that's going to be in the, a thorn in the side of uh, Dan Mullen's, uh, uh, yeah, of course, his body because, uh, you know, having to worry about, you know, Manny Diaz and Mike Norvell is enough, but then you have to worry about Gus Malzahn and Jeff Scott as well. 
it's going to be another thing to worry about. But, you know, we'll see how this develops in the state of Florida. We'll see how these guys, you know, recruit. And we'll we'll come back to it maybe in a couple of years and we'll see, oh, no, like Dan Mullen's like not the right guy. Maybe we need to fire him because he's not recruiting as well as, you know, these guys. And then maybe maybe uh, Gus Malzahn acquires enough talent to make UCF like a perennial, t- like, like perennial, like top 15, top 10 team because of his, like maybe his, he's really, he's insane at recruiting. Maybe he's better than we give him credit for. So, you know, there's a lot of ifs and buts that we don't know because we haven't seen these guys in action for a couple of years to see any trends. But, you know, Dan Mullen should be a little worried. I think there's like a, the fire is getting a slightly bit hotter on, you know, on his hot seat because you see all these like great coaches in Florida and also like all the antics that he pulled in 2020 was also another thing that you can talk about. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. I think next week we'll, we'll probably discuss Dan Mullen's hot seat again. Because that keeps coming up constantly, and I want to like give my opinion on that. But yeah, I mean that's really it for the defense. I really went a little bit overboard talking about our one minute topic. But yeah, that's like our, I think I I have confidence in, in like the gist of it. I think the I have confidence in the defense. You know, for right now, I haven't seen anything to like put me off otherwise. But right now, I think I got co- good confidence and optimism in this defense that it'll perform better. Because the only way you can go is up from being one of the worst defenses in the SEC. So yeah, I think we'll be good. I'll see y'all next week when we talk about Dan Mullen's hot seat. Peace.